I trust too that Brother Paul can hear this morning. Can you hear okay, Paul? Okay. Sorry. It is good to have Paul and Isaiah here. So, uh, um, and no, there's not a mistake in the preaching calendar. Just taking care of some paperwork here. Have a uh, internet pledge affirmation card. I commit myself to an active, open, mutually accountable relationship with my church family and specifically with one or more members, including one of my congregation's ministerial team regarding my use of the internet. Good morning. echo what Brother Mark said. If you didn't hear Thursday evening's conference message, get a hold of a copy. And I can get you a copy of the handout he had given to go along with it. I realized earlier this week that it's been a long time since I heard a sermon on fasting. I later realized I was a preacher and I could do something about that. Um, It was shockingly long gap between those two realizations. And so some of the questions I started having as I thought about the subject of fasting. Uh, What is fasting is an obvious question. Um, Why fast? Um, Why don't I fast? And then simply, well, how does one even do this? So that pretty well influenced the structure of the message this morning. Thinking first about, well, what is fasting? You know, fasting has fallen on hard times, at least it seems among our well-fed American churches, and I speak as one of the well-fed. And, of course, there are exceptions, and those who faithfully practice fasting don't really publish it. Um, However, it's rarely talked about, rarely preached on, And really, from everything I've been able to gather, it isn't what I would call commonly practiced. Um, Something that I found condemning in thinking about this and my own um, life and practice was, have I intentionally uh, participated in a Christian fast more often or less often than I have participated in anointing services over the last four years. Um, Those are other things you don't necessarily have published abroad. But uh, as I was just thinking about ordinances and spiritual disciplines, um, over the last number of years I've participated in a number of anointings, but I haven't participated in that many fasts. So one problem, or, or maybe, maybe one of our, no, one of our problems might simply be how we think of fasting. 
if the, the accent is on abstinence and fasting is uh, some mere duty to perform, then only the most iron-willed among us will ever get over the self-pampering hurdles, the social hurdles, to actually put the discipline into practice. <clears throat> but if we wake up and see fasting for what it can bring, uh, the joy it can bring, the growth it can bring, the uh, that, that it's a, a means of, of, of God's grace to, to strengthen and sharpen our affections toward him, then we might find ourselves holding a powerful tool for enriching our relationship with Jesus and our enjoyment of Jesus. Fasting is, and I read uh, somebody described it as, an exceptional measure. Um, it's designed to channel or, or express our desire for God, and, and it also indicates our um, a, a holy discontent we have for living in a fallen world. Um, it's fasting is for those who are not satisfied with the status quo, not satisfied with just the way things are. Fasting is for those who want more of God's grace. Fasting is for those who feel truly desperate for God. And scripture um, describes and includes many forms of fasting. We see uh, personal fasting and communal fasting, fasting in groups. We see public fasting and private fasting. You see it um, in congregational settings and in even national settings in Scripture. Um, you see it, I think, especially in the Old Testament. Um, you see a lot of regularity in some of the fasting that was to take place. And you see it as occasional um, just something that happens at times that aren't so regular and well-defined. And you also see examples of it being partial and seeing it be more absolute. Um, think even of what uh, Daniel and the other three Hebrew boys did when they were taken into captivity. Um, they held back from all the delicacies um, of the king's table and yet they didn't just drink water for that time they ate vegetables they they limited themselves and we see that in in some other places too where there's there can be a um, a limiting that is maybe not the the absolute that we tend to think of usually we think of fasting as a christian's uh, voluntary abstinence um, a chosen abstinence not just well, I don't have food, so I'm not going to eat, but a voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. And we can fast from good things other than food as well. Um, we'll probably look at that more in a little bit. The author Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. And so his emphasis was just, we need to um, embrace fasting and realizing it's not just about, well, I'm not going to eat during this fast, but there are other um, legitimate things that are good targets for us, good um, applications for us, uh, they're, they're legitimate, they're good in and of themselves, but for the sake of a special spiritual purpose, 
I will abstain from them. So fasting is not just an extension of temperance. So we are uh, temperate people. Some of that, sometimes that means moderation in certain things, um, things that have a tendency toward being dangerous. Temperance sometimes describes abstinence from certain things that are just straight out dangerous. Um, fasting is not really an extension of that. Fasting is, is down a different track than that. This is not just us saying, well, um, I'm not going to partake of alcohol because it's dangerous and um, all the warnings against drunkenness in scripture. Um, that's not fasting. That's something else. That comes down to temperance. It's it's not just fasting is not just um, taking some next step in moderation or holding back in unnecessary or dangerous things. Fasting holds we hold back in fasting we hold back from valuable and legitimate things, not just dangerous or unnecessary things. Uh, a note that we might expand on a little more later. When I talk about fasting this morning, I'm talking about Christian fasting, not intermittent fasting. You might uh, hear or read about as a weight loss tool, or even we fast each night while we sleep, then we break our fast with breakfast. Um, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christian fasting. Normal Christian fasting means privately and occasionally choosing to go without food, for some special period of time, we will talk about other things we can fast from. Um, but choosing to go without for some special period of time, and sometimes that may be part of a day, sometimes that may be a day, two days, three days, seven days, I don't know what all you have done or you will be led to do. Let's look at several scriptures that pertain to fasting and consider the spiritual purposes of the fasting we see there. So we'll look at a few verses first with, um, it shows fasting as a, uh, for the purpose of strengthening prayer. So you can go to Ezra chapter 8, and it's just going to be a couple verses in various places uh, for most of these. Ezra chapter 8. Ezra is one that I almost always have to sing the Old Testament song in my head to remember where to find them because I want to find them in with the prophets after Psalms, not before. So Ezra chapter 8, we have um, here in, well, we're going to read, Uh, well, for now, we'll just, no, we'll go ahead and read verses um, 21 through 23. Ezra 8, 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. 
the purpose of strengthening prayer. In Joel chapter 2, and you don't have to turn to all these. I realize that I've read them a couple times, and so it's more in my head where to find them in my Bible, and so I might be jumping around. Uh, Joel chapter 2. Uh, verses 12 and 13. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Turn to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping and mourning. And then in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13, You'll find lots of fasting in Acts. In Acts chapter 13, we have another example of fasting for the purpose of strengthening prayer. Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So fasting, one of its purposes is for the strengthening of prayer. While we're here in Acts, jump over to chapter 14, and we'll see fasting for seeking God's guidance. Acts 14 and verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They prayed and fasted to find the elders for the churches. They were seeking God's guidance, and fasting was a part of that. We also have... I'll just read it from my notes here. Judges 20, verse 26. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept and sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. They were seeking God's guidance. We also have examples of fasting as an expression of grief. In 1 Samuel 31, 13, we have, um, this is right after, uh, well, I'll just read it. First Samuel 31, 13, they took their, being Saul and his son's bones, and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. They expressed their grief through fasting. And then jumping over into chapter 1 of Second Samuel, we have David then grieving. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul, and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. The purpose of expressing grief and fasting. Um, over here in Second Chronicles, we have um, Fasting for seeking deliverance or seeking protection. In Second Chronicles 20, verses 3 and 4. Second Chronicles 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. They were seeking deliverance. They were seeking protection, deliverance, and they fasted. And in Ezra, we have a similar um, situation uh, that we read about earlier. Ezra 8, 
Um, verse 23 of that 21 through 23 we read was about um, fasting and treating God, and he answered our prayer. But the verses before that were the verses where we have um, them seeking deliverance. I proclaim to fast there at the river that we might humble ourselves before God to seek him from the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. That is another example of fasting for the purpose of seeking um, deliverance. We have fasting for expressing repentance and returning to God. Um, one verse from 1 Samuel 7, 1 Samuel 7, verse 6, So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. Expressing repentance is one of the purposes of fasting. And then Jonah would be another example of that. Jonah in Nineveh, in Jonah chapter 3, we have... Jonah 3, starting at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came from the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. This is one of the only cases I found of a fast involving abstinence from water. Um, I don't promote water fasts or fasting from water. Um, but let every but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Expressing repentance, returning to God. because I'll probably forget to mention it later. Um, I, I don't think this one uh, passage is enough to justify saying you should practice. Um, since this one king said, don't drink water during the fast, I'm, I'm not uh, ready to tell you all you should uh, hold back from water during fasting. Um, I do think that there can be a lot of value then that as you drink water, you could maybe be um, using that as an opportunity to think of the water of life and and the necessity of the water of life. But anyway, just throwing that in there because I'm going to forget by the time I get to practical steps. And then in 1 Kings 21, <clears throat> we have fasting for humbling yourself before God. Um, 1 Kings 21 and... Starting at verse 27. So it was when Ahab heard those words, this is after Elijah gave him some pretty straight talking about um, Ahab and Jezebel. It was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me, because he has humbled himself before me. I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity of his house. Ahab humbled himself before God, and part of that action and manifestation of that was fasting. 
And in Psalm 35, 13, we have, As for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. I humbled myself with fasting. Humbling yourself before God. <clears throat> we also have an example of, a couple of examples of expressing concern for the work of God. We had Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 1, he um, instituted a fast. Well, actually, he first started by fasting himself um, when he heard that the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and the gates were burned with fire. He sat down, he wept, he mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, he said. And Daniel also, in Daniel 9, um, when he was concerned for the work of the Lord, he set his face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting. We also have an example in um, Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is a fascinating passage to read when you're thinking about fasting. Um, in Isaiah 58, we have ministering to the needs of others. So in Isaiah 58, uh, we'll just read verses 3 through 7 for the sake of time. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you, you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? So I, I am not... I'm still very much trying to process through how fasting ties into the ministering to others, but this passage this passage shows a link. And then we also have the account of Jesus in Matthew 4, um, overcoming temptation, dedicating himself to the Father. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Um, and it said, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... Afterward, he was hungry, then the tempter came to him. Um, Jesus used fasting to overcome temptation and to dedicate himself to God in that time. And then we have in Luke 2.37, fasting as, well, we'll just read it. Luke 2.37 and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Part of her expression of love and worship to God was through fasting. She served God, and that served there seemed to have kind of the idea of, of worshiping with fastings and prayers night and day, expressing love and worship in fasting. So we have lots of potential purposes um, that you may be, may be gearing for as you fast. 
<clears throat> but I, I really think it's that last one that may be the most helpful in focusing our, our thoughts and our desires when it comes to fasting. This truth of how we express love and worship God. It, it, act, it encompasses all the other purposes also, and it gets to the essence maybe of what makes fasting such a powerful vehicle for, for God to work and, and a, a vehicle for his grace, um, that at the core of it, my fasting comes out of, is a part of a worship for God. Uh, Don Whitney is the author of the book Spiritual Disciplines, and he said this, fasting can be an expression of finding your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life from God. So when we are giving up other things that do bring us legitimate pleasure, giving those up is an expression of what ought to be the reality, what needs to be the reality of your life, that your greatest pleasure and enjoyment in life is God, comes from God, is all wrapped up in God. We tend to think of fasting in negative terms. That's understandable. Fasting is, after all, abstaining. It's going without food and drink or some otherwise good gift from God. When I say food and drink there, I'm thinking oftentimes when you fast, it would be only water. So you may be giving up coffee. Wow. Um, or juice or what have you. Maybe the reason so many of us fast so infrequently is because we think of fasting mainly as what we're going without rather than what we're getting. Christian fasting is not only going without, it's not simply abstaining. The goal of Christian fasting, in fact, is not going without. The goal of it is the getting or abstaining always serve some greater end and purpose, some eventual gain. Our goal is never the loss itself, not in Christian fasting. Christian fasting is abstaining for the sake of some specific Christian purpose, or it's not truly Christian. Jesus didn't um, waffle around as to whether his church would fast. In Matthew 6, uh, 16, he says, when you fast, do it this way. Not if you fast. He says, when you fast, do it this way. And then in uh, Matthew 9, 15, he, I wrote down promised. Um, maybe you could just say he prophesied. Uh, he was talking to the, fair, the, the people who were asking, why is it John's disciples fast and yours don't? And he gave the explanation. And then he said, they will fast when I'm gone. Um, so I don't know if, yeah, I wrote promised, but as I think about it now, he simply prophesied that his people, his church, would fast in his absence. That's in Matthew 9, 15. So the early church fasted. Um, Acts, you have a bunch of times, Acts 9, Acts 13, Acts 14, all have references to it. And for basically 2,000 years since, Christians have fasted. And when we have done so in a truly Christian way, the end result has not been loss, but gain. So how does Christian fasting become a spiritual feast? What's, what's the purpose in Christian fasting? Fasting is, um, in some ways, 
fashionable in some quarters today. And so we need to be extra careful to take our cues on this from Jesus and not just from the culture around us. Um, I had uh, I had been doing some reading and it, it talked about how um, it was about a generation ago or so, a lot of voices were claiming you know, fasting is bad for your health. <clears throat> and these days you ha- actually have lots of dietitians and so forth saying, uh, when done correctly, fasting can have you know, beneficial physical effects. Um, so what's the difference between fashionable fasting and Christian fasting? And the key difference is the purpose we talked about. It's Christian purpose. We could say spiritual purpose, um, and I'm thinking capital S for the Holy Spirit. So it's not just spiritual as opposed to material. It's not just you know my, my inner spirit. Um, is blessed and not just my physical body, but I'm talking spiritual with a capital S as opposed to natural, the spirit of God. For Christians, an essential um, aspect or piece of Christian fasting is simply the Christian purpose. Think of the list we went through, all those verses that had different purposes people laid out for why they were fasting. They were fasting to express Um, their humility toward God. They were fasting in repentance. They were fasting to... um, I'm never sure what word to use. They were fasting as a part of of amplifying their prayer, for lack of a better term. Um, All these different purposes, without a spiritual purpose, without a Christian purpose, it's it's, it's just not Christian fasting. It's just going hungry. So, the benefits. Christians, some of us may fast for dietary reasons, um, for the physical benefits that some nutritionists point to, but dietary goals aren't what make up Christian fasting. What spiritual fruit we might receive from God in response to our on-purpose Christian fasting is what we're going for. How does God reward, then, faith-filled fasting? Um, It's in Matthew 6. Jesus says very plainly that there is a reward. Um, There in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus calls us to fast in secret, not for show, Um, with the promise that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus has promised that your fasting, your Christian fasting, will be rewarded. God rewards it. Well, how? Now, the fasting God rewards is not just um, a declaration of our strength, of will. Look how much I can do for you, God. Um, that's that's not what God's looking for when you fast. God, look how much I can do for you. I, I can go a whole 24 hours without eating anything. That's that's not really that's not really at the root of of of, a, of an attitude and, a, and an attempt uh, an action that will bear the most fruit. Um, there's an expression of our of our emptiness so that we can be filled by Him in our fasting. We're saying, God, I'm emptying of myself because I want you to fill me. Um, Christian fasting doesn't come from our own power. It's from a heart that God himself works in us 
and strength that God supplies in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, starting at verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, If anyone seeks, let him seek as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies and in all things that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christian fasting is not rooted in our own power, our own willpower, our own self-denial. It is. It comes out of a heart that God is working in. The strength that God himself supplies is how we are able to do this. So realizing this isn't about my strength or my willpower, What are the rewards he gives through his love, his grace, um, when we fast for him? One thing we see is God answering earnest prayer in in this fasting. Um, Fasting functions as some sort of assistant to prayer. I really don't understand it, especially when I read um, Isaiah 58 and God pretty much says, I don't hear you any louder when you're fasting that way. Um, but there, there's some way in which fasting functions as a kind of assistant to to our mental and vocal prayers. Um, it comes alongside the, the specific request we're making to God. Um, we have access to God through Christ. We see that in Romans 5, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3. We have access to God in Christ, and we bring our request to him, and, and somehow fasting expresses, I don't know if it's an unusual earnestness or what, um, fasting is some sort of an assistant to prayer. It, it somehow makes a special plea to God, it seems. Fasting is a kind of special measure in the life of faith. Um, normal life is not fasting, or else fasting wouldn't be what it is. Um, it's it there's something special about it it's it's for its time and place and purpose normal life is is steady state prayer and enjoying um god he's the giver of um everything good that includes food and drink um obviously and and we go through life in in praying without ceasing and when we partake of his goodness, even in physical gifts like like eating and drinking, um, that, that is all right and good. And fasting is a special mode. It's for, for an unusual prayer, for showing, for showing God as the giver that we enjoy him even more than his gifts. Something else we get is simply more of God himself. Um, the greatest reward, really, of Christian fasting, the best of all, um, is... God himself. So more important even than God's earthly guidance or God's protection or God's deliverance or God's provision, all those all those purposes and benefits we saw in those different verses, more important than any of those, earthly guidance, protection, deliverance, provision, more important than any of that is is our the, the eternal, the the filling of him, the rejoicing in him, um God made us to eat and drink 
Why did God make us eat and drink? Why didn't he just make us, you know, recharge with a plug at night or whatever? He, he made us, he made us eat and drink. Why did he do that? I think a, a big part of that is to simply teach us about himself, to show us more about him, about his goodness, about his provision, how he leads us, how he cares for us. He made our, our world edible and drinkable, that we can taste his goodness when our mouths are full, but then we also have that realization, that knowledge, that reality that he is better than food and drink. When my stomach is empty, that needs to be the reminder for me. That needs to be the, the reality for me that though all these good things are gifts from God, God himself is the greatest gift. He is greater than all of them. Fasting serves as a reminder that God himself is the great feast. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's God. God himself in Christ is the one who satisfies more than the best of foods. He quenches our thirst more than the purest water or Gatorade or anything else that you really go for when you're you're just parched. God is the one who satisfies more than any of that. In him, um, also in Isaiah 55, in the verses that come after that one I just read, uh, we read about him, our souls in him eating what is good, um, how we delight ourselves um, in, in rich food. He's the one who in Revelation 21 says, uh, to the thirsty, he'll give he'll give that um, spring of water, of life without payment. Um, taste and see that the Lord is good. God Himself satisfies more than anything, and fasting is one of the ways in which we remind ourselves of that. We realize that in a way that we don't without it. God rewards Christian fasting because it attunes us to. His, his very purpose um, in the universe. It's to magnify himself and his rewards. He rewards not just with what we're asking for in our fast, but ultimately he rewards us with himself, who he is. So Christian fasting is not mainly about what we go without, but who we want more of. So fasting, another, another thing that... I thought about with fasting as, as I studied and, and looked at fasting in scripture is fasting is for this world. It's for stretching our hearts to get fresh air beyond the, the pain and trouble around us. Um, it's for the battle against sin and weakness inside us. We, we in fasting, we express our discontent with, with the sinfulness of life and, and show our longing for more of Christ. Jesus said while he was here, his disciples weren't fasting. When he goes away, they will. When Jesus returns, there won't be fasting. It's a temporary measure. It's for this life and age to enrich our joy in Jesus, to prepare our hearts for the next, for seeing him face to face. When he returns, he's not calling a fast, he's calling a feast. And... Holy abstinence will have served its purpose. Um, but until then, we fast. Here in the now, as we wait 
as we hope we fast? Or will we? Do we? Why don't we fast? Consider this. If you're not fasting, it is perhaps because you don't feel any fervent longings for God's power in your life. In other words, you're pretty content with the way things are going and your fruitfulness for God and the way his glory is manifested through you. So you don't really need a fast, do you? When I leave, my followers will fast. When, when Jesus said that, and I think about how infrequently I am driven to do this, I begin to wonder, does that also indicate my level of passion for when's Jesus coming back? There's a link there. If you're not fasting, it is perhaps because you don't feel any fervent longing for God's power in your life. You're pretty content with the way things are going and your fruitfulness for God and the way his glory is manifested through you. The contentment, this this contentment with our present experience, this lack of strong longings for more of God and more spiritual power and more breakthroughs for his glory, that's something that simply holds God back from blessing us more. He's told us, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. The absence of fasting probably means... The absence of fasting in my life probably means the absence of deep longings for God's power. And the absence of deep longing, if I look at that verse in Jeremiah, means that's probably one reason why he sometimes waits. I want to share a few practical thoughts about fasting that I've uh, gathered. I am not sure where... I got the bones for this, the, the original six points. Um, I had them in my notebook. I'm pretty sure it's from a book, but I couldn't figure out which book it came from. Um, but it was it was written for the purpose of, if you're struggling to just practically get on with, how do, how do I approach this? Um, or if you've just never done it. Um, and and the, the author laid out six points, and I've kind of built around that. Fasting is hard. It sounds much easier in concept than it proves to be in practice. Um, it's surprising how on edge we feel when we skip a meal on purpose. It feels like if I miss a meal because of busyness, it almost is easier, or busyness, or just it doesn't work right now to stop and eat lunch, and so you skip lunch someday. That seems easier than the I have purposed in my heart that tomorrow I'm not going to eat lunch for spiritual purposes. Um, you feel different at noon on those two days. And fasting can be hard. It's surprising how on edge we can feel when we skip on purpose. And so many an idealistic person um, sets out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to supercharge my spiritual life with fasting. That's not really quite how fasting works, for one thing. But... Um, Suddenly you find your belly driving you to make up for that missed meal long before the next meal time comes. Fasting sounds so simple, yet in our world, our flesh, the world, the devil, uh, there's a lot conspiring to introduce all sorts of complications and keep it from happening. So these are the, these are the six points that 
somebody wrote um, about ways to, to help get a hold of this spiritual tool. Um, one was start small. Don't go from no fasting to attempting a week-long fast. Um, start with a meal, maybe a meal a week for a few weeks. Try two meals, work your way up to a day long. Um, you can do something like uh, two days of a juice fast where you don't eat solid food, but you will take in juice so you get some sugar and nutrients, that kind of thing. Um, it's, again, not really recommended you abstain from water during a fast of any length um, but start small you don't have to go well I really need God's help on this decision so I'm not going to eat this week I don't think you're going to be able to focus on God but so much if that's your starting point uh, number two was plan what you'll do instead of eating fasting isn't just the emptiness remember fasting isn't just get the food out of the picture it's seeking God with a purpose. So um, there's a there's spiritual discipline here. It's seeking more of God's fullness, which means have a plan for what positive pursuit you're going to take um, instead of the consuming. So um, we spend a good portion of our day with food in front of us if you add up your meals. Um, so... Maybe you're going to dedicate that to specific prayer time. Maybe you're going to dedicate that to uh, specifically meditating about something. Figure out what you're doing with the, the time you would have been eating uh, before diving headlong into a fast. Come up with a simple plan. Connect, connect the purpose for the fast. If you just go, well, I'm just going to fast because the preacher said we need to fast more, you're just going to go hungry. Um, seek God and his purposes, and so be intentional about it. Identify what it is that that is that specific spiritual purpose um, and, and design a focus to replace the time you would have been eating. Um, number three was consider how it will affect others. So if you have a regular um, get-together with uh, friends, coworkers, family, um, consider how you can work around that in a way that doesn't blow the trumpet about your fasting or put somebody in a bind where they just went through all this work to put together a meal and you say, oh no, I'm not eating today, I'm fasting. Well, be, be intentional, be brotherly. Um, love for God and love for neighbor go together. So plan, consider how it will affect others, um, especially if you have regular meals with colleagues, family, roommates, um, clients, what have you. Um, figure out how you can do it in a positive way all around. Number four, try different kinds of fasting. So um, uh, you see both private fasting and group fasting. There will be brothers and sisters who will be willing to fast along with you, whether that be you normally eat together, but you're going to fast at the same time and pray together this time, or even just we're both concerned about this thing. Let's set aside this day that we will both fast and we're going to take our lunchtime that day and, and pray. And doing it together has benefits. Doing it alone has benefits. Um, try different approaches. Uh, and then number five, fast from something other than food. 
fasting from food, for one thing, can have some health implications for some people. Um, uh, I think specifically of a friend who was diabetic and fasting got really complicated. Um, and so um, you may have dietary or health conditions that make it hard for a traditional food fast, but remember we're talking about withholding from, from things that are legitimate and good for the sake of, of spiritual growth, um, for, for a spiritual purpose. So um, consider fasting from news, fiction, a hobby, your computer, your devices, what have you. Um, find something to fast from, um, even if you can't fast from food. And even if you can fast from food, it's good for you to fast from some of those other things sometimes. And then number six, don't think of white elephants. Um, that was on the list that was in my notebook. When, you're, when your stomach starts to growl and it starts telling your brain, feed me, feed me, feed me, um, don't be content to let your mind dwell on the fact that you haven't eaten or sit there and count the minutes since the last time you took in calories or what have you. Um, if you just make it through your fasting with an iron will that says no to your stomach, but you're not turning your mind and heart elsewhere, it probably says more about your love for food than your love for God. Um, fasting, Christian fasting, turns its attention toward Jesus um, or, or some cause of his in this world. Christian fasting seeks to take the pains of hunger and and rewrite them into something else, whether it's fighting against some sin, pleading for someone's salvation, simply longing for a greater taste of Jesus even. You know, at no place in all of his 13 letters does the Apostle Paul command Christians to fast. And Paul doesn't, uh, Peter doesn't command it. John doesn't command it in any of his books. You're not going to find a command in the New Testament that you should fast. Yet for 2,000 years, Christians have fasted, and Jesus said, oh, when I go away, they're going to fast. One expression, among others, of, a, of, of healthy, vibrant Christians in churches has been the practice of fasting. Um, however, it seems to be, in some ways, a lost art today. Fasting um, has endured for 2,000 years, and yet today it seems seems pretty weak. Um, and yet, for all that time, it's been a means of, of Christ's ongoing grace for his church. If you want to be faithful, if you want to grow, if you want to be more full of Jesus, you're going to want to fast. Can we have a song, please?